The text for the message this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, page 992. After explaining about the church, defining the church, Paul says, the Holy Spirit says, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so your rich uncle calls up your parents and tells them that he really wants to give the family his, his beach house mansion with all the staff and supplies included. It's close to church, it's close to work, a wonderful place to relax, eat good food, go boating, fishing, horseback riding, swimming, whatever you like to do, you can do it there, free of charge. And your uncle tells you, your parents, very clearly that it's because your family, that he loves you, that he wants to, to do this, and you can have it all without restriction, unless, of course, and then he gives some very good rules, unless you would disown your uncle or rob yourself or your blessings by destroying the property or, or killing yourself. Well, to you, it all sounds very good. But things quickly change when you get there with your parents. Your parents have trouble receiving the free gift and they become so obsessed with the the so-called rule that they should not kill themselves that they start making all sorts of prohibitions that make your uncle look like a very unkind man. All you hear is, don't go in the games room or he may think we used it. Don't go near the ocean or you might die. Don't leave the property or maybe your uncle will disown us. And so your parents are trying to to earn what had already been freely given them. And you can imagine that the uncle would be very sad and upset with the family who replaced his grace with unnecessary rules and so deprived the children of a very joyful and a very thankful life. In the Ephesian churches, the believers were beginning to hear the word can't more and more. You can't marry. You can't eat this food or that food. The church of the living God, who had gained the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, was being invaded by a legalism 
that led men and women to reject the grace of God, the work of Jesus Christ. And since we often live by rules that we have made up without thinking about why we do the things we do, it's important to look very closely at God's, or about our attitudes about God's grace. Do we truly understand the grace of God to us in our creation and our redemption and our renewal? Do we live with the understanding that he has given us all things to be received with thanksgiving as we live for his glory, as Paul emphasizes in 1 Corinthians 10? Are we always being true to God's word when we, when we use the word can't or must? Have we added to his law so that God looks unkind because he urges you not to throw away your blessings. This morning I preached to you the gospel of salvation that your Lord wants you to be as happy as possible under the following theme. The Lord urges us to receive all things he created for us with thanksgiving. We'll see that he graciously gives us his blessing. We'll see the wickedly, arrogantly reject his blessings and thirdly, the church thankfully receives his blessings. The Lord graciously gives his blessings. The context of the passage we've read together, the text, brings us back to paradise when God gave the creatures everything they could ever want. In fact, he made them to want those very things that he made. A beautiful relationship with God and with their neighbor. An amazing universe to discover. No chance of getting bored. Food in abundance and all kinds of different enjoyable food. Luxuries, speaks even of gold and silver. Special animals, lighten our day. We love to, to see them. Maybe on the holidays you were going, maybe even stopped over just to see an animal. Makes us so happy. Gave us purpose, gave us goals. Paradise gives a full display of God's grace to us. We sang about it in Psalm 8 too. His creatures could see how, how he wanted them to have everything good. God even allowed them to show the sincerity of their love for him and their willingness to walk in his grace by placing the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden. Now they didn't need anything from that tree as if they were lacking anything. The only thing that God didn't give them were, were the bad things that come from being separate from God. And when Adam and Eve ate from the tree that promised this independence, they ended up choosing death away from God rather than life with God. Very, very sad moment. But since God's grace is greater than our rebellion, he came to talk to them. And he even promised them a savior. He established his covenant with believers and their children throughout the generations and graciously reminded them 
of this relationship and he stayed with them in this relationship in spite of their repeated sins and rebellion. And finally, after keeping his covenant people separate from the world, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world as he had promised and washed clean in his blood. His people were led by the Holy Spirit to once again enjoy the universe that their Father in heaven had given to them. We, brothers and sisters, are part of, of that story. It's not a story, that truth, that revelation. We're a part of God's work. The Christian life is based on being a part of God's free grace to undeserving sinners. It's the starting point for every day. It's the starting point for what Paul is saying in our text. In Christ, we are restored to the grace that Adam and Eve experienced. Without any merit of our own, we are placed in the kingdom of God. We are forgiven. We are set free to glorify God simply by basking in his grace, by enjoying all the resources and all the blessings that Christ Jesus has obtained for us. There is nothing left that we have to do. It's been given to us in Christ. The Lord Jesus said it was finished as he tells us in John 15 to remain in him. Paul tells us to receive with thanksgiving all that has been obtained for us. In another place he says live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The Holy Spirit repeatedly urges us to focus on all that God has already given us in Christ Jesus, rather than acting as if the kingdom of God is a destination that you have to get into by your own work. The Father has created the universe and given the members of his household a new opportunity in Jesus Christ to freely enjoy it, like the family who was invited to live in the rich uncle's beach house we can know too that we have not done anything to deserve the privilege of living in God's gracious blessings and yet it pleases God if we simply embrace what he has given, embrace Christ Jesus in faith and in trust, resting in his righteousness. So how do you react to grace in your life. It's hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? We have so much trouble showing grace to others. We also have a lot of trouble accepting God's grace, God's love. And when we see to what lengths God went to grant us the blessings of the forgiveness of sins and an everlasting life, us Sinners, we even feel a little bad. And so we're often like the parents in the beach house story that insisted on paying a debt that didn't even exist. 
by adding unnecessary rules that just stole from the joy of the gift and it was only added so that we felt like, like we at least are contributing something. We lie to ourselves. We say it is a sign of weakness to depend on God's grace. And we don't want to be weak. We don't want to be dependent, do we? And so we find things that we can do so that God will think we are worthy of being in his kingdom. We end up exchanging the free grace in Jesus Christ for an anxious life of trying to earn God's favor, but never, never being good enough. When you describe the Christian life, what kinds of words do you use? Think carefully about your answer. Imagine you talk to somebody, what kind of words do you use to describe the Christian life? If your answer was filled with cannots and musts, you may be vulnerable prey for the deceitful spirits and teachings of demons that burst forth from the mouth of the wicked. Because the, er the wicked arrogantly reject his blessings. Paul says, the spirit expressly says, that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. The Spirit spoke to the churches while the Son of God was on earth and explicitly declared that many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. You could see, for example, Matthew 24, verse 11. Since we live in the last days before the return of Christ, we need to understand that the Spirit's warning about the later times is a warning that remains from Pentecost until the return of Christ. It's a warning for our day. And as we head into another season of Bible study, and it comes time to choose good literature to use, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is very graciously warning us not to believe every teacher who says he or she comes in the name of the Lord. The Spirit warns us not to be naive. He says there are also liars who have departed from the faith because they have devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 30, you know when Paul met the elders of Ephesus on the beach, he told them that, that he knew that from among the congregation men will arise who will speak things, uh, speak twisted things to draw disciples after them. So Paul's talking to the same church in Ephesus. Ahead of time, he warned them that false prophets would arrive, arise. And these false prophets would actually have success. Why can they, how can they have success? Because they call themselves servants of God. They often refer to, to the word of God. And they may be acting sincerely, unaware 
that as Paul says, their consciences are seared. The word seared means slightly burnt by fire. We think of the the farm practice of livestock branding. When a person heats up an iron with, with a brand or the initials on it, and then presses it onto the skin of the animal to leave a permanent burn mark, which serves as proof that the animal is really his. When Satan takes the branding iron heated in the fires of hell and sears the consciences of men by burning his lies into their consciences, he cauterizes the consciences so that they are insensitive to the damage that they are causing to the well-being of people that they are teaching. In our day and age, we rarely speak so forcefully about anyone in the world. Never mind influential people who are recognized as Christian leaders. And so that the forceful, the strong language of the Spirit. It leads us to ask a lot of questions. Who are these people? If Jesus told us to deny ourselves and take up our cross, and he did, and if the church at one point in in the Jerusalem council, they decided that it was wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols, you can see that, Acts 15, verse 29, Why does the Holy Spirit so strongly condemn the teachers in Ephesus who were calling believers to an ascetic lifestyle? That means a lifestyle of self-denial and separation from the so-called pleasures of the flesh. Was it so bad to forbid marriage, to require abstinence from some foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving, that these men are called agents of the devil? And when we look closely at our text, we will see that the sin of the false teachers was not their desire to be holy and pure, but rather that they were depriving God's people of the good gifts he had given them to enjoy. The problem in Ephesus was not the the you shall not commandment in itself, but the problem was prohibiting, forbidding what God had granted us in Christ for our enjoyment. You see, you see how much God wants you to have a happy, joyful, full life. The first thing the false prophets were forbidding was marriage. Well, God never forbade a person to marry, but actually ordained marriage before the fall when he himself brought the woman to the man so that the two could become one flesh. It's wicked. It's wicked to forbid one of God's creatures to enjoy the blessings he has received in Christ and in the church in Ephesus. It even caused younger women to become idlers and gossips and busybodies. You can read about that in chapter 5, verse 13. Only agents deceived by demons would spread the lie that followers of Jesus Christ may not get married. 
Or that being single was a higher form of piety and godliness is a common way that the teaching comes across. When the Lord gives us good gifts in his love for us to enjoy. Not that we have to, even the Lord Jesus and Paul chose not to, to get married. But if he gives us these gifts, his anger burns against those who steal them away from us with ungodly prohibitions. The Holy Spirit's strong language shows how much God loves us, you and I as individuals, as human beings placed here in the world that love so many things and how seriously he wants us to enjoy everything he has given us. The second thing that the false teachers were requiring was abstinence from certain foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now we notice that Paul did not say that they were wrong to require abstinence from all foods because the church had already established that food sacrificed to idols and the blood of strangled animals was not something that believers should partake in, especially if it caused weaker members to fall away from God. Paul was opposing the teachers who were forbidding God's people to eat food that God had given them to enjoy. His point was there is no longer any tree in the world from which believers were forbidden to eat like it was in paradise or any animal that God still called unclean after the fulfillment of the Old Testament laws and ceremonies in Christ, as you can see in Acts 10, verse 15. In the New Testament church, in Jesus Christ, believers were led by the Spirit to see their freedom to participate fully in everything that God had created. And it was wicked for the leaders to burden believers with requirements that God did not require of them. Such prohibitions were an abuse of authority, of the authority given to the leaders an abuse of authority which attacked God's goodness and replaced the gospel of grace with the false teaching that extra sacrifices and self-denial could serve their salvation. False teachers who add to the word of God, who give you extra things to do to show your piety and your faith, they ultimately impose a new slavery on you. They deny the perfect righteousness of Christ that he offered for us and in our place. They reject the grace of God and the free offer of salvation. It's like the, the parents' treatment of their, their brother's grace in that beach house mansion comparison. The prohibitionists in Ephesus and any extra works that a person may require of himself or others, shows that he thinks that Christ's work is insufficient. And then we see how bad it is to forbid what God has given us to enjoy. And the Holy Spirit urges us, brothers and sisters, to never let anyone diminish or take away all that Christ has obtained for you by his death on the cross, his, his resurrection, ascension, his glorious victory. 
Christ fulfilled the commands of God perfectly. And his obedience to the commandments of God was sufficient to satisfy God's righteousness, God's justice. The rules to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, God's commandments, which Jesus Christ already fulfilled, are the only commands. And we don't need any other burdens, rules, or conditions added to them. And so feel free, brothers and sisters, to question every can't in your life. And look carefully at it. Does the can't or the must rob you of good gifts that God has given you to enjoy? Does the can't or the must add something that you must do to be saved? Is it a rejection of the grace of God and your salvation in Jesus Christ alone? He who makes us share in his righteousness so that we have access already into the eternal glory of the Father? Well, if so, that is a wicked can't, a wicked must that the Spirit urges you to reject. As Church of Jesus Christ, we repeat with joy that our God graciously gives us everything that is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. The church thankfully receives. So what kind of thoughts are going through your mind right now? It's quite tempting at this point to start misinterpreting our text by taking the words, nothing is to be rejected, out of the context and then refusing to listen to any can't or don't or must. A person might reason, well, if Paul tells us that nothing is to be rejected, then you must allow a sexual relationship outside of marriage or anything else that I like doing. Although some people without the Spirit talk like this as they justify their right to disown God and to kill themselves, it's good to be clear that in our text the Holy Spirit does not sanctify sin, but he nails it to the cross. And he tells us to look at everything in the light of God's word. Paul explains that everything is made holy by the word of God and prayer. The word of God gives us direction about whatever we may be receiving. The word of God shows us what is good and how we are to enjoy the blessings that God has given to us. And so it's very specific. Believers who know the truth of the word of God and then give thanks. Well, they are the ones who, who read and listen and pray regularly. They know what God has given them and what God has not given to them. We don't just receive everything without even thinking about it, but we judge it by asking the question, can I give thanks to God for this? It's a condition in verse, verses three and verse four. 
is this a part of the blessing he gives to me in Jesus Christ? Does my enjoyment of this permissible food or this permissible activity serve to build up my brother or sister? Or does it cause them to stumble? The message that Paul repeats often in 1 Corinthians. And the Spirit leads us by his word so that we can distinguish the gift of God from the distortion of the evil one. Believers can know that marriage is a blessing. It's given to us to enjoy, to, to find satisfaction in. But believers also know that it is only a blessing if you do not commit adultery. Food is a blessing if you don't abuse it. You are free, but your exercise of freedom should not be damaging to the faith of other believers. Paul explains that in that text that was on the screen as you came up or on the wall, everything is lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. The Holy Spirit does not teach the right to absolute individual freedom to demand whatever we want. The picture is different. He tells us to understand what God has given us so that we may receive with thanksgiving. Our text shows that prayer should be a part of receiving God's blessings with thanksgiving. Do you still pray with your meals and in all other moments of thanksgiving for God's blessings? This is not just a tradition. It's not a Dutch thing. It's not something that was just passed on that we do for the sake of doing. But this prayer with our meals, this prayer in the moments of thanksgiving, it is a way of knowing whether or not you should be eating that food or not, or doing that activity or not. If God does not bless it, you do not want it. If it isn't something God created for you, you shouldn't take it. As Paul says in Romans 14, verse 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you can't pray, say thank you, Lord, for this. In sincerity with the word of God open, then you won't have that certainty and that enjoyment in your heart. At the same time, a Christian may receive and enjoy whatever he is able to give thanks to God for. If God created it for you, he loves to see you enjoy it and hear your words of thanksgiving. The Lord loves to see you take his, his word in your hands and examine the blessings that he has promised for you, understanding the freedom you are given through the law and then indulging yourself in his goodness. The good news is that the Holy Spirit makes us want to enjoy all the gifts that we have in Jesus Christ and then he gives us many opportunities to do so. Our God has given us many delights of the flesh, including good food, marriage relationships, enjoyable and challenging work, and a beautiful creation to live in. And the list can go on and on. And so when we 
enjoy a nice steak and vegetable dinner outside on a sunny day after a good day of work perhaps with a lovely husband or wife beside us and some cute little children and then read from his word and and thank him for his love in prayer. Then we say, God is good. Well, sometimes we say life is good, but we mean God is good to us in this life. Look at how much pleasure he gives to us. There are so many things we are permitted to do, so many profound experiences that we may have, so much freedom in Christ, so many opportunities to glorify God, and they're all open there before you. We we can't even do all the things in a lifetime here on earth. We look forward to eternity, to continue on celebrating. And when God's Spirit is leading you by His Word, you may pursue whatever you want because the Holy Spirit only leads you in paths that bring glory to God. And so as you return to your studies, whether at home or at school or in university, or as you think about your work on Labor Day tomorrow, as you carry out your task in the world, keep the Word of God open. And pray, and pray for guidance so that you can receive every blessing, pursue every spirit-sanctioned opportunity, indulge in every pleasure that God has created for us to enjoy with joyful thanksgiving and praise. For everything God created for us is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving and made holy with the word of God and with prayer. God has poured out his grace upon us. He rebukes the wicked who try to steal away from us. And he urges us as his people to receive his grace with thanksgiving and praise. Let us embrace our freedom and our riches in Jesus Christ. Amen.